Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, your host, Maddie Treats. And with me, as always, is the educator of excellence and the mass library, Kevin Hellions. Now, this is a special, special episode of The House Show, okay? The reason we do that is because this is the Kevin Hellions Birthday Spectacular episode. (laughs) (laughs) you guys don't know this is we actually record usually like a week ahead of time um so we have this so we are recording the episode on mr hellions the mass library's actual birthday happy birthday there uh mr hellions mr library whatever you're called nowadays what uh what did you do what did you do for your birthday did you get anything nice was everyone nice to you you know did you get a nice birthday dinner uh, did get a nice birthday dinner. We did uh, a bunch of pizza and wings tonight. So I was very happy about that. Finally found a wing place that I enjoy in the town I'm living in. I don't know if anyone else agrees with this, either on the show or listening. But I think certain things, pizza, wings, subs, even Chinese food, you find a spot in your hometown that you love. And no matter where you move elsewhere, nothing else is going to ever compare or come close to that one that you liked. But these wings I got tonight are finally like, okay, that's my wing place. I've been here 10, 11 years. And I finally have a wing place. Now, my question to you is that wing place, do they have good pizza? Because I found that in 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 the town I am, I like wings from one place, but pizza from the other place. And the, pe- the place that I like the pizza from, the wings are terrible. And it's just a bad, bad, you know, bad combination. If the wings is a 10 for here then the pizza is definitely lower, but it was still good. So I'm still, I'm still good with making one stop for this. Excellent. Well, happy birthday, buddy. Um, What you don't know is we actually um, are throughout the episode going to be playing our favorite Kevin Hellions wrestling stories. Okay. Now these are stories uh, that we are telling. I asked some of the friends on the podcast, uh, the educator is going to, Go over his story first. Um, you will hear mine later on. And Crone Meltzer has a story, too, that he says is phenomenal. So Crone uh, Meltzer will chime in, uh, and we will play that for you. Because, you know, wrestling has brought us together. Uh, we love wrestling, and we love Kevin. So we want to just kind of make a special episode for Mr. Kevin Hellions. Uh, so, educator of excellence, you have a great, great uh, Kevin story that involves wrestling. Why don't you take the floor, go ahead and, uh, tell your tale. So about, uh, let's see, 16 or so years ago, 17 years ago, I guess. Um, my wife who, uh, friends with Hellions, uh, before I actually met her, um, has remained great friends with Hellions since we've been married. Uh, my wife decided to surprise me for Christmas and actually purchased 
tickets to WrestleMania, and it was WrestleMania 18, the one, uh, the last one that was in Toronto, Rock vs. Hogan. Just, just and, real quick, uh, can I just say four icons in the building that night? Yeah. Hogan, Rock, Educator, Hellions. There you go. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up, uh, she ended up purchasing uh, three tickets to uh, to go see WrestleMania. And by all means, uh, I thought, who else would I take to WrestleMania with me besides my wife, but Mr. Hellions himself, uh, as he and I had remained in gr- uh, close contact with each other since I had went away to college. Um, and it just it seemed like an absolute no-brainer. The, the concern I had was that, you know, the three of us going to, to this pay-per-view, the road trip to Toronto, um... I was concerned that Mr. Hallians would perhaps be maybe a little alone or maybe feel like the third wheel on on this particular road trip. So um, we decided to uh, kidnap a, a little buddy, a, a little a little side side dish action, a little date for Hallians that we, we were able to take uh, with us on the journey so that it was uh, the educator in the front with 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 Mrs. Educator, and then we had Hellions and, and, and his little side side dish, his side piece in the back, and, and that would be none other than the uh, the Travelocity gnome. We ended up stealing a garden gnome from uh, Sweet Maddie Treats' mom's garden, and we ended up decided to go international with us. Uh, over to Canada and proceed to have an amazing weekend photo ops galore of uh, travel time and the four of us we just had an amazing time we we had dinners uh, dinner out to we went to uh, I believe Hard Rock Cafe and we had dinner in Toronto uh, with the gnome had his own place setting actually ordered him a salad to make sure you know he felt a part of the group we had tickets to wrestlemania access and uh by all means we we snuck that gnome in there and had plenty of picture ops including with stacy keebler's uh statuesque legs that were uh on display as well as vince mcmahon's smashed corvette wanted to make sure that the, the hellions you know even though I had the opportunity to 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 be entertained by all, all the the wrestling uh, experience, didn't just want him to feel like the third wheel and feel alone. So he had his little travelocity garden gnome with him to keep him company the whole weekend. Yeah, I remember you guys coming back and saying, "Hey, I got these great photos <laughs> from from the event." And I said, "Oh, cool. Let me see. You know, this is before cell phones, and you're taking photos left and right, posting them on Facebook." And we get the photos, and I look at them, and I just say, "You son of a b- let's go. You like it was just, uh, it was a funny, funny uh, incident." Uh, Kevin, what do you what do you want to say to that? I'm trying to remember where the pictures are. Unfortunately, it might be at my mom's. It might might be one of the things I left behind. Um, there's a picture of me in the back seat with my arm around it, just smiling, grinning from ear to ear. Here's a picture of it at the border. There's a picture of it at, um, I went into the, so I got the idea because there was a video on much music, which is fuse in the U S maybe, maybe the whole station, but it was Canada's MTV. 
and there was a video that was real popular of someone stealing a thing like this and traveling around with it. So I went to Much Music asking to take a picture there, and they're like, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> go, it's the number one video on your station. They're like, yeah, I have, I just work here. I don't know what you're talking about. But eventually they relented and let me take a picture in the in the uh, opening of the building for it. Ah, and that video, by the way, is Matthew Good's uh, band, Antipop. So they were my favorite band at the time. And uh, yeah, I just want to throw that out. So. Um, so I guess I wanted to lead off with that story because that was an international incident and we are at in your house nine international incident taking place on July 21st, 1996 in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the general Motors place, uh, close to 15,000 people watching this. And the tagline is by far the worst tagline I've ever seen for a wrestling event. The tagline on the pay-per-view poster that you would send to your cable company is <gasps> two hours of hard-hitting high-flying heart-stopping pile-driving action really get you pumped for wrestling um so uh why don't we why don't we get started this is the first time we've ever gotten a pay-per-view started with a free-for-all recap uh, of course the recap is uh Jim Cornette trying to attack Jose Lothario, Vader and Sean show up, everyone gets involved. Uh, what did you guys think of this kind of little uh, free-for-all recap? Love the opportunity to be able to relive the scenario and at least provide additional build-up uh, leading into the main match for later in the night. Certainly loved Cornette's promo later on and his revisionist <laughs> explanation as to what went down during the free-for-all and, and why he was conducting himself the way he was. Um, always appreciative uh, of, of the vignettes at the start that give us a reminder of the events leading up to the show. And in this case, uh, uh, an event that happened in the in the in the basic pre-show or the free-for-all uh, to again give a little bit more edge and, ener and uh, energy towards what will be the main event later on in the evening. Yeah, it was. I really wish the free-for-alls were all on WWE Network. Um, and I know mo most of it's talk. Ninety percent of it, if not more, is just talk and interviews and setting it up and recaps. But there is little angles like this and matches and all that are interesting. And I mean, we've we've all been to live shows and Raws and Smackdowns and pay-per-views and stuff. There's definitely that quiet of, okay, I I can worry about getting my drink and my merchandise and finding my chair and taking my sweet time. Because if anything does happen, it's going to be like a squash match, an enhancement match, a tryout thing, something like that. I don't have to worry about missing. The crowd seeing Vader and Shawn Michaels coming out for this ridiculous little interview segment before any match for the show like that's a great way to get a crowd excited and then as soon as the pay-per-view starts they're already amped up like that was brilliant for it yeah Cornette's revisionist history he took a knife out on me <laughs> it's hysterical and and I mean WWE known for revisionist history too Lothario had a switchblade he was only trying to defend himself from the switchblade. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I loved that line later in the night uh, when he said he had a switchblade, and there was obviously no Jay White present at that uh, at that time. So, uh, on commentary for this event, we got Vince Jr. and the King. Um, we're getting started off in our first match is going to be the Smoking Guns with Rodeo Sunny 
versus the Body Donnas. Uh, before the match, though, there is a Body Donnas interview, and I just thought the staging of the interview was very weird because they had the two Body Donnas like to the left, and I feel like they were trying to get the TV that was playing in the background to the right, but it looked awful. It just looks so, so weird. Uh, but before we get into Rodeo, Sonny, I have a question for you guys about Sonny. What do you think she's been up to lately? Like in real life, like right now? Yeah, um, remember our, our rate, our uh, rating on the show as well here. I'm just asking a simple question. What do you think she's doing for, for work? I, I, for Oh, for actual employment? Yeah, what do you think? How's she making money nowadays? Um, I know about two years ago she made a movie. Okay. I, I don't, well, uh, I got imagine that money's gone, but she was probably getting paid doing, you know, um, uh, autograph signings, indie shows, stuff like that, which are all shut down right now. So I had, I hadn't thought cause there's not a chance that she's working at a grocery store or whatever. Well, she is very essential. So <laughs> Tammy Sitch is now on, uh, only uh, the only reason I bring this up is, you know, I saw an article about how many followers she has on this, and she has 2,000 people that subscribe to her page for $30 a month. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so she's making bank right now. But I, I, so I went on the I went on the page. Of course. And I noticed for the research link. purposes. Okay. Yeah, research purposes. Uh, I, you know, I found the page in the woods. Um, <laughs> I noticed that there was there was a link to Amazon.com. Yeah. So and I remember she gets she, a kickback. Well, I no, I remember she had oh, her book came out. Oh, that's right. So I clicked on it, but it's not a link to the book. It's a link to the wish list for you to buy stuff for. Yep. Me. All right. So let me just go through some of the things that she wants bought. Okay. <laughs> Let's list these off. Is any of Rodeo outfit? Um, no. Well, maybe. Is it a Rodeo? We'll segue back in. They don't call me Mr. Segway for nothing. Okay. Not because I own a a scooter or anything like that. Um, but if you have $1,700 laying around, you could buy her a diamond carrot earring or necklace. It's number one. Uh, number two, she wants women's runched butt lifting leggings, high-waisted workout shorts, tummy control gym yoga pants. That's number one on the list for $19. Uh, there's some paintings on there. There's a $2,500 watch. But out of all those things, my favorite thing on here that she wants are now that's what we call country ballads one and two on CD. So help me understand this. She's got two thousand subscribers. Yeah. Thirty bucks a month. Correct. I'm sure the site gets a good chunk. I think I read the article they get like twenty to thirty percent. Even if she even if it was a 50-50 split. But if you're saying twenty to thirty percent she, before taxes, she's getting forty-five grand. Yeah, a month. A month. Oh, and she needs people to buy her stuff. Well, she no, just not just anything. Need she needs people to buy her now. That's what we call country ballads one and two <laughs> on CD. Right. That makes sense. And and red, white, and crew. The Molly Crew greatest hits. Wow. So you know what I call it. <laughs> What do you call it? Because these people that, because because there's no shortage of of women out there, and and this isn't anything against the women. Um, there's no shortage of women on OnlyFans or you know whatever other similar services. But the amount of men that think, oh, 
I spent money, therefore you're my friend. Therefore, maybe we have a connection. Maybe, you know, you're my girlfriend or, maybe, you know, whatever. And every time they post a picture, have to respond within seconds. Oh, you look so beautiful. Oh, you're so pretty. Oh, how are you single? All that. They are called thirst responders. Because they need to be the first one to go out there with their thirsty, turned on, whatever remarks there. If only if only we knew someone like that. Anyways, let's go into <laughs> Rodeo Sunny. Uh, walking down with the smoking guns. What did, what did you guys think of this match? Uh, uh, just a couple things that I had. How did they get that sound when they threw Candido into the corner of hitting the buckles in the corner? It just, I don't know what it was. It just sounded louder or looser or the spring or something. They were vicious. Yes. It is. It's, it seems like they didn't twist the... That main cable support attaching the turnbuckle to the ring post. And like it wasn't twisted and supported all the way and it was loose. So every time anyone got thrown into that corner, it was just like a gunshot, it sounded like for the, the entire night. Um, Harvey Whippleman as referee, uh, slowly uh, transitioning his role from uh, only backstage to an on screen uh, character or performer, I guess. Thought that was interesting. Uh, Sunny looked absolutely amazing in her Daisy Dukes and her cowboy hat. I don't think anyone is going to argue against that point. Fan I would, hat. I would gladly buy her. Now that's what we call country ballads one and two. Absolutely, <laughs> the whole series. 19, There's a third one. 1996, <laughs> Sunny buy that all day, all day. Um, I, I thought the match itself started interesting. Chain wrestling at the very, very start. Um, we've got Zip uh, working on Bart back and forth. They're like arm dragging and reversing an arm drag and countering an arm drag back and forth. Working on Bart's shoulder, uh, Skip and Zip tagging in and out. Um, Sonny's role throughout the match, huge distraction angle at the beginning where she falls, throws her hat in the ring, and... Uh, Skip ends up, uh, you know, checking on her to make sure she's okay, uh, because I'm sure there's uh, still the whole idea of the body Donis are hoping that they'll eventually get Sunny back. And as Skip goes and checks on the fallen Sunny, we got a double clothesline from the guns onto Skip. Continuous camera work and cutbacks. Uh, spent a lot of time looking at Sunny throughout the match and like her various reactions, her playing towards the camera. Um, the only thing that I thought was awkward or frustrating in the entire match was the weird botch that the smoking guns had trying to do a double team maneuver. Um, for those of you that are familiar with uh, team angle, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, they would they would do this double team maneuver where Shelton Benjamin would lay a guy's upper body over the top rope and grab his legs. And then Shelton Benjamin would run across the ring, hit the ropes and then jump over the body and do like a cross body onto the prone opponent. Billy attempted to do this, but it is almost as if Bart forgot to like duck down <laughs> to give him the opportunity to move. And then commentary tried to save the whole botch by saying that the referee <laughs> stopped it from happening. But Whippleman was just nowhere near. He was like five, six feet away in the corner. Um, the finish of the match with the distraction again, Sonny playing into the crowd. You got Billy Gunn and Sonny jaw jacking to with some fans in the outside of the ring. 
and Bart had set up for the smoking guns finish that sidewinder. So he had uh, zip set up for that side suplex for Billy to come off with a leg drop, but the Billy was nowhere to be found in his corner. And then he turns around and, and zip jumps off or skip jumps off the top rope and does a drop kick for zip to be able to get the fin, uh, the pin and the finish. So um, I thought it was a great match other than the botch, the back and forth action, the tags in and out, I thought were great. It's unfortunate that they couldn't do more uh, with the body Donis. I really don't think uh, the Tom Pritchard who played this, the zip character, he doesn't get his fair due. I mean, he's today he's a very well-revered trainer and was a very high up behind the scenes guy for WWE for a WWF and WWE for a long time. He just doesn't get the accolades he deserves for his his tag work both in WWF and then the territories prior and Smoky Mountain Wrestling and and even you know WCW and their stints with the Rock and Roll Express. Um, Candido again underutilized talent. Um, I really think he made his bigger stride in his run in ECW following this WWF run. Unfortunate uh, of his passing due to complications from a surgery, uh, from a broken foot. Um, certainly gone way too soon and had a lot, mo- a lot more to, to contribute to the business. But overall, I thought the match was decent for what it was. Good show opener. Uh, if the botch, I guess, with the smoking guns hadn't happened, it probably would have came off a lot better on TV. But uh, for what it was, I thought it was decent. Well, we start off with uh, Weird Body Donna's interview, like you said, where they say Cloudy's no longer with us which Cloudy was their anti-Sunny, which was some male wrestler friend of theirs. I forget who played it. Um, that was clear, very clearly a man in drag, just to mock Sunny. Um, not to mock Sunny, though, were the camera angles that she is coming out, which were not quite, you know, the ECW influences getting in there, the heat from WCW, we're not quite at Attitude Era yet, but there's no way that they'd get away with the camera angles they're doing on Sunday on today's PG product. Not a chance. Um, This is also where we start to get, and it'll lead into the next match. Vince announcing that Jake Roberts is not there this evening. Uh, Vince says that Jake has rib injury. And then Jerry Lawler begins making references, uh, Betty Ford clinic and the wrath of grapes. So my, my personal theory is that this was Jake Roberts falling off the wagon. Vince was trying to be nice and, and, and the face and politically correct and all of that be a, a good public thing for a company, but let Lawler say his piece as the heel announcer. Uh, so like you're saying, Sonny drop pretends to be hurt. Skips c- comes over to help guns, take him out. Um, Sunny's having a blast throughout this match. She's just enjoying herself out there. And probably rightfully so. She's the number one woman in WWF at this time. She's making a ton of money for posters and downloads. She even had her own VHS at the time and everything. Um, she's the number one, she's without doubt the number one woman star in wrestling out of all of wrestling at the time. And close to being a crossover and probably could have if WWF knew what they had, knew what to do with it, which they didn't really know how to cross over someone unless they were like, tonight on Pacific Blue, right before Raw, John Michaels will show up. Um, 
the whole match, like you're saying, Bart, uh, it was Bart Gunn that missed the leapfrog. Um, a few other things. It seemed uh, no one was bad in the match, but they just weren't synced up with each other. Everyone was like a step, a second off from each other. It seemed like the whole match. But also considering other things for where these teams go and the people go, I think it was kind of a realization of we're as far as we can go here. Like some teams can keep going, win tag titles numerous times, feud with other people. But the guns as a team and body Duns as a team and as opponents for each other, I think it was like, what else can we do now? Like we're kind of stuck in this rut. It's become so we're so used to each other that we're not even paying attention during the matches anymore. Like that other than Sonny, that's almost what it seemed like is I know what to expect. So I've zoned out for a minute and then I snap to him like, Oh geez, I'm supposed to do a move here. I, I forgot where I was for a moment. Uh, we get the cutback of Brian Pillman is monitoring the superstar line. I forgot Pillman was in WWF already at this time. Um, Sonny trying to distract skip at the end. There's the guns getting distracted. Skip ends up hitting a uh, drop kick. I believe it was zip temperature that covers part for the win. It just it, everything was such a step off. Sunny's fantastic, and she carries the whole segment. And you know, give credit to her. But it, it you know, I I don't know. I try to be surprised and not look ahead for these pay per views. I don't, you know, I'll, I'll remember stuff as I'm watching. But I. Gotta imagine this is the last time we see Body Donna's and probably close to last time for the guns. One thing as I'm watching this that I, I saw and I was like, I wish I could make a tape of the best of Sonny and send it to Lana. <laughs> Be- because I think Lana's a great performer and obviously the stuff that she's been given hasn't been that great. But don't you think she could do this role and be spectacular at it? Like, obviously, right now, when there's no fans, when we're all quarantined, you can't really do that. But once the fans start opening up and we start bringing them back into the arenas, I think she would be great as kind of this Jezebel character, um, you know, that that Sonny's portraying. See, and for Lana, I would disagree, though, because I think inherently she's a goof. And I think you would need to give her a silly gimmick, and that's when you'll see the real her come out, and that could make her a star. I don't think she's comfortable being, you know, pretending to be a Russian or being, uh, you know, breaking up her marriage or, or anything like that. I think she'd be more comfortable being silly and ridiculous and maybe even annoying. So, so like you think you think level. during this ma- so you think during this match, Sonny was being serious. No, I mean, that, but, the Sonny was entirely just hamming it up and having fun out there. I mean, her feigning on the ground and playing it off is great. I mean, they could do this. They, they could also do this with Mandy and Otis. The same idea that we said we said previously about, you know, the hog farmer and Sonny. I mean, it's a story as old as time. I think Mandy's the better example. I think Mandy could absolutely do this kind of role and, and toy with men's emotions like that and everything. I think that's See, the only reason way. the only reason I say Lana is Mandy to me is a wrestler and Lana is more of a valet. True. Right. But that's just my my thought on that. So um, why don't we move on to the next segment, which was uh, Mr. Perfect once again doing the interviews. Um, and he's got Camp Cornette with him, which is Owen, the Bulldog, uh, Diana Smith. And of course, Corny. Uh, Corny uh, talks about, you know, the switchblade that we referenced earlier. Um, and, and then uh, if if Camp Cornette loses tonight, they're going to refund 
the money of everyone in attendance and every pay-per-view. Um, and we learned that Diana Smith is going to stay in the back. So I'm sure Kevin is very excited about that. <laughs> well, all right. So Courtney saying I'll refund the money. A heel saying that would anyone have even taken it seriously? Like, it's one thing if Vince McMahon comes out and says that, you know, or if even like Triple H or Stephanie said that. If, if Shawn Michaels is like, I guarantee we'll win or else I'll refund all the money, I think that would hold a little more weight. Cornette saying that everyone would be like, whatever, you're a heel manager, it's what you're supposed to say. I don't think anyone would believe it. But then I'm overestimating some wrestling fans because we've seen those wrestling fans at shows. There's probably some people that will have been like, listen, Time Warner Cable or whoever, I was watching this show last night and the wrestler manager on there told me that you'd give me my money back. Well, I think the way the heel would get out of it is if if, if they lose was, OK, I'll refund you your money. So when you see me in public, show me a bill and I'll <laughs> give you like that's how you would say it. Right. That's how you would weasel out of it. Yeah. Just wait for him in line at Dairy Queen and get your money. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Anything of, of substance in this interview for you guys that you saw? Just love the revisionist theory that, you know, trying to uh, ward off Lothario with a switchblade and then how Michaels was going to jump him from behind, which is crazy because Michaels was the fourth guy in the ring. Vader had actually come down to save Cornette after Lothario had knocked him down. So uh, just classic Cornette. Just entertaining promo, just a fantastic, fantastic uh, use of time to just further engage the audience and, and just a little bit more fire into what will be the main event later on in the evening. Yeah, and that, that will roll into our next match, uh, which was supposed to be Mankind versus Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, turns out it's going to be Mankind versus uh, Henry O. Godwin with the Hillbilly Gym. And two notes that I have are both about music. Number one mm-hmm. is on the WWE. How bad is that entrance edit music for Henry Godwin? And number two, how great is that exit music for Mankind? <laughs> So certainly with the dubbing over, I'm, I'm uh, assuming certain kinds of music either have a copyright claim or, or fees uh, to the original producers. I know that Jimmy Hart had a significant, uh, significant uh, contribution to a lot of the music and uh, the don't go messing with the country boy, certainly from Hillbilly Jim's time in the mid 80s when Jimmy Hart was there. Um, as a uh, a character, an on-screen performer for the WWF at the time. So now at this point, we're in 1996. Jimmy Hart has been long gone from the WWF. He's in WCW. So I'm sure there was certainly, uh, you know, buy rate, uh, you know, fees that would have to be paid in order for uh, for that music to be played. And given this being the streaming on the network, just a lot of music is constantly dubbed over. Even Demolitions music, I believe, has been dubbed over uh, in, in previous uh, previous earlier shows. I, I just thought the, the oddest thing about that is not only is the music dubbed over, but there is no talking from the announcers right. as well. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have a direct feed to the announcers. Um, speaking must be where the music didn't bleed over. It's just it's just kind of uh, kind of crazy. But what did you what did you guys think of the match? So this is Mick Foley as uh, portraying the Mankind character. And, you know, for me as a wrestling fan, 
Um, I always think of the wrestler of Mick Foley um, in two stages of his career, pre-Hell in the Cell 98 when he was thrown off the cage and post-Hell in the Cell. So this is just a few months after his debut in the WWF, and and Foley is going all out crazy. He he's um, lighter and for size wise for what he's known for his most of his WWF run. Um, the 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 ripping of his hair out as a part of his character and grabbing handfuls of hair and yanking is just crazy. His his appearance with the mask, the shaved patches on the head, ripping apart the hair. Uh, he really, really invested into this character. Um, very close near to the start of the match, man, uh, Foley, Mankind, is already outside of the ring, yanking up the protective blue mats to expose the concrete floor. He did a twisting, swinging ne- neck breaker to Godwin, and they both cracked their backs flat on the floor. Um, mankind running to the corner, Um towards godwin to leap towards him kind of like a stinger splash ish like maneuver but godwin moves um and mankind kind of posts himself on top of that cable that we had talked about that was just making a loud noise every time someone threw themselves in the quarter um the sickest spot of the match is when godwin kind of like body slammed mankind who was standing on the ring apron picked him up for a body slam, so it was almost like a gorilla press slam and completely flipped him out onto the floor. Um, so, I mean, we're talking like at least with hit Godwin's arms extended in the air, a seven-plus-foot drop doing a you know flip over onto the floor, onto the hard concrete floor. Um, the, the slop drop attempt from, uh, from the Hogman, Henry Godwin, was countered by Mankind holding onto the ropes. And then he just proceeded to put on that manable claw for a finish. One of the things that I, I would be interested in your guys' take, I mean, we see the Fiend use the manable claw today and fully doing the manable claw. What are your guys' thoughts of this as a submission maneuver versus it's a paralyzing mover maneuver that puts the opponents back to the canvas and the referee counts for a three? I mean... Do you perf- do you think it looks more logical one way the other doesn't really matter? What are your thoughts? I all right, so I'll answer that and then get to thoughts on match. I think it's more not quite submission, not quite pinned. It's sort of its own thing of I can't breathe. So I I, I want to say that's a submission because like you can't really tap out from it. I mean, pe- people do. I won't say it's a pinfall. It's more, I can't breathe, and now I'm on my back, and I can't get up or anything, so it's a pinfall. I can't breathe, and it's easier for the ref to lift my hand three times or for me to just tap out just so I can do something. I think the only person that does as a great submission move, and it's it's twisted in a way, but it's a very similar move, is Britt Baker in AEW. Right. That looks like a submission move, and that's fantastic. It looks awesome. It's a, it's a great move for her to use. Um, the only the only Kevin the only thing with Britt Baker's now though is she puts on like a medical glove I before. Love that. Be, but but is that because of COVID or is that because that she's the dentist? I thought it was because she's I the mean, dentist. 
But I didn't think she was doing that beforehand. I thought she was just doing the mandible claw. I think she did it. I think she did it like one of the last live crowd shows before the lockdown and the non-fan arena shows that had happened since then. So I wonder if she's going to keep that. Um, I think she should. You know, um, and, you know, she doesn't wear gloves or anything like that. It just, it sticks out to me because I think the first time I saw it, I think the ref gave her the glove and I just thought that was the most awkward thing. Well, I thought it was like, a, oh, time to go to work. Because, like, she had on her Instagram, Twitter, whatever, one of her social media things, that she was back at work. So she still does dentist work. Like, she's not completely retired from it, which, I mean, yeah, you spend years to get, you know, certified in your degree for it and everything. It makes sense to not just give it up. Um, so, I don't know, maybe... Let me jump started, that. She has to yeah. keep doing it. Yeah, I think actually now that I remember the, that Britt Baker, uh, Britt Baker spot where she called for the glove, I think that was the match where she got her nose busted open and she was bleeding oh. everywhere and it was on her hand. So she didn't want to shove her hand covered in her blood down her opponent's mouth. I mean, obviously for health reasons. So I think she was screaming at the ref to give her a glove. And I think, and then like that was like a cool image of what was going on. And I think it's just now it's something that's stuck and yeah, let's continue doing that. I, I could see that. I mean, look at how many things in wrestling have been accidental and then you just stick with it. Cause it works. Right. I could absolutely see that. Um, all right. So for this match, uh, Henry O'Godwin, like any good old Southern boy, holds up the Canadian flag, as expected. <laughs> uh, like you're saying, the music is weird. This is a fantastic fight. Like, I didn't know Henry O'Godwin could fight like this. Obviously, we know McFoley, Mankind can do it. But this was great. He's, you know, obviously younger and, and not as injured as he becomes. So to see Foley doing these bumps and these moves and everything, it's incredible. He, he was so good. He's just so good. Like you're saying, the neck breaker on the floor is disgusting. The slam is disgusting. It's just so gross. But what was even more disgusting, I was shocked by, is to hear Vince talk about the lightning-like quickness of the Godwins. I, you know, I, I know he's a pretty boy, but I didn't know he was lightning-like quick. Um, I'm wondering if we would call this greased pig lightning. Crickets. Crickets. There's crickets for. <laughs> there's. Crickets will be edited in, folks. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like, that's a different side of Henry Godwin than we ever really saw before. And, uh, you know, the the matches we've seen here, talk about talent that none of us really cared about at the time, but have a, a new respect and appreciation for. Like, he was actually pretty good. And it's just crazy to see Mankind here which he had just been Cactus Jack and ECW, doing great stuff there, but now, you like, you can see he's going to be a star, especially things later in this show, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, too, just like I like I made reference to earlier, um, Mankind's uh, exit music with the piano. I forgot how awesome that is and how such a different tone that it sets up uh, when he, he goes into the ring and then when he leaves. Um, it's almost it's very like therapeutic that he went through that match and he got his violence out. It's an awesome, awesome touch. I think we're supposed to be like a lullaby to soothe him on his way out. It's fantastic, whatever it is. So, um, why don't we why don't we move on? We'll go to the WWF Superstar line uh, with Brian Pillman. Uh, this is just an interesting segment. Uh, of course, the body Donnas and smoking guns are going. Um, 
Kevin, I got a couple questions for you. What <laughs> did Brian Pillman say during this? <laughs> Matt, you act like I've written it down. <laughs> of course you have. Um, I mean, I only wrote down one, but it was the big one. All right. What is the big one? So Pillman is saying that the body Donna's are upset that they no longer have Sonny. Um, we can't hear what they're actually saying on the superstar line. So Pillman is, you know, quote, reporting for it. Uh, I forget who else had um, the Sonny and Smoking Guns in a separate chat room. Ray Rougeau. Ray Rougeau. Ray Rougeau. Oh, I thought I thought Rougeau and, um, and uh, Jean-Pierre were guarding the house. No. There were, there were Mounties guarding the in-your-house set. Ray Rougeau was never a Mountie. Come on. <laughs> Get your gimmicks oh. correct. <laughs> um, so Pillman is saying how much the body donors want her back and what they would like to, why they want Sonny back, and that's what they're talking about, the superstar line, and then blurts out that they want to double-team Sonny. <laughs> and Vince just pretending to act disgusted. Uh, Kevin, do you think they would have edited that out if they had the chance to? No. You no, think no. that's what they were going for? Yes. I think Vince was purposely being like a teenager to his parents, seeing how far I can get to the line and possibly step over the line before I actually get in trouble. Right. And I think Vince was starting to put things out there and be like, how far can we go? How far can we go? They're starting and to flirt you... with the attitude era here. Yep. And one of the big things, and this was in a, a recent interview with uh, either Shawn Michaels or Triple H, I forget which, they are talking about early DX days, where they would go out and do stuff, and then USA would complain, and pay-per-view companies complain, and everyone would, and they went out and did something, and USA's like, you know, we were going to fine you, and we we're debating on throwing you off the air, or at least, you know, the DX segments up there, and then we saw the ratings, so keep doing it. <laughs> I think that was for the uh, when Sean pretended to be the president, right? Yeah, the president of DX, the state of the segment. union. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you guys don't know this, of course. Brian Pillman, uh, the loose cannon, they used to call him. You know, on the podcast, the birthday boy Kevin's a little bit of a loose cannon. Um, I actually have to edit him a lot. Okay, so I actually compiled what I like to call an episode of unedited Kevin. And we're going to play that for everyone right now. And uh, hope you guys enjoy it. It's now time for an episode of Unedited Kevin. Is this, um... Never mind. Forgot where I was going. I'm totally leaving that in. I'm totally... <laughs> <laughs> I am not editing that out at all. I'm just warning you now. I had a good point, and it's gone now. Was it a good point, then? Probably not. Okay. I, I, they had longer plans, I truly believe, with Gold, the Goldust character, and at this point, they didn't want to uh, have him lose the Intercontinental title and maybe wanted to drag this potentially on... Is that... Who, where is that? Gavin, is that you? Yeah. Gavin, you got a fire going on over there? We do. Is that you? <laughs> I'm leaving it in a sec, too. We're leaving it off. <laughs> is that, right. is so, that your great so, point? Did this bell go off every time no, you get I just, a thought? I remember that. I'll come, I'll come back All right. to it. Uh, so let me get it back here. Uh, so I, I truly <laughs> believe that they're... I'm sorry. 
Kevin, Kevin's ideas are so good, they're smoking. <laughs> Take 27. Oh, God. Jeez, well, I found our ending, so. And this has been another edition of Unedited Kevin. All right, so that was Unedited Kevin. What did you guys think of the first episode of Unedited Kevin? Uh, educator, you look like you loved it. <laughs> well, wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Hey, <laughs> Kev, I didn't know you had it in you, but, uh, well, I guess we'll see what future cuts will bring to continue to entertain the crowd. Kevin, anything you want to say about your these edits that I have to do? I, I mean, you know, I trust you to edit for a reason. So stuff like that doesn't. I have family that listens to this, sir. <laughs> I know, and I, uh, you know, your your lovely wife was involved in it, so I just wanted to edit it out and not play it. So, <laughs> all right, let's let's move on to the next match. Uh, we got Mister Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on the Wild Man Mark Miro uh, with Sable. Uh, you know, and uh, during the match, Marlena comes out with the Usher, not Usher the the singer, but the Usher, uh, and he's part of AOL. It's just a a big thing. Uh, what did you guys think of this match? Um, interesting to kind of see Stone Cold finding his footing and uh, figuring out who he is. Without a doubt, um, you know, we're so used to the iconic Stone Cold Steve Austin, black trunks, black boots, nothing, uh, nothing else. You know, vast to the ring. I don't know if you guys noticed that he had a logo on the back of his tights, a big white mm-hmm. logo that stood out and it just, it made him look so much different than what we're used to. Um, like love the fact that they did a, 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 a replay package showing the uh, cut injury that he ended up sustaining at King of the ring that tore up his lip um, uh, a roll up maneuver that Mark Merrow attempted in the middle of the match that accidentally kicked him in the face. So Love the fact that Lawler healing on the mic about how Steve Austin, uh, he's shocked that Steve Austin with the nature of the injury uh, was able to come back, let alone come back that night uh, to to finish the pay-per-view tournament. Um, Like the stalling at the start of the match, at one point Austin uh, towards the beginning had a, stepped out of the ring and instead of getting back into the ring, he ended up seeing uh, Sable and started like walking around, not really chasing her, but just like kind of stalking her outside of the ring uh, and marrow chases. And uh, Austin ends up turning the, the tables on marrow and starts attacking him. The slingshot into the post, the crowd went crazy when Steve Austin did that slingshot and from the outside uh, towards the post onto Merrow. Merrow hit that, and it just looked so stiff. The crowd popped uh, hard for this. You know, Treats, uh, you know, mentioned we're starting to see some of the footing for Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're getting our trademark uh, elbow drop off the second rope with the pseudo kind of flip off to the opponent. Um, the a little bit of a weird, not really a botch, but just a mistimed power bomb into a, what Wild Man tried to turn into a Huna Carano over the top rope to bring Austin out to the floor. 
Um, and this was all during the whole when Sable or when Marlena and the Usher was kind of walking to the ring, I don't know, scouting for Goldust or just to act as a, um, a distraction. Um, the, the Mark Merrow getting crotched on the top rope after he had mounted Austin in the corner and did the 10 punches. And then Austin just dropped him down on the top rope. Again, this crowd, this match, they were just so, they were just so hot for a lot of the spots in this match and, and many of them, of the other matches throughout the night. Um, that slingshot leg drop that Merrill was, you know, kind of playing around with from the outside of the ring over the top rope in. And then all of a sudden, after like five minutes of Marlena being down at ringside, now Mark Merrill is distracted by uh, Marlena being there. Austin hits the chop block uh, to knock on his left leg to knock Merrill down um, and then immediately picks up uh, uh, Merrill and gives him the stunner for the pin. Um, one of the things I, uh, for this particular match, a question I want to open out to you guys is, is that stone cold stunner itself. Do you think Austin was still trying to figure out the maneuver in terms of the way to apply it and how the, the opponent would land to sell it? Um, do you think the intention was meant to be a fall on the, you know, fall on your butt and make it more like a jawbreaker kind of maneuver? Uh, because it looked like Mark Merrow sold this as if he was taking a diamond cutter RKO as opposed to a, a stone cold stunner. Do you do you think Austin guys were, were, was still playing around with the maneuver? Was it a diamond cutter? Was it uh, a jawbreaker? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that was one thing I noticed too. Was the way Merrow fell? I mean, obviously he was taking it like a diamond cutter or RKO, however you would, where his legs kick back instead of dropping to your knees, which I'm going to guess is probably the proper way. It, I mean, they did it for years uh, to take that move. I, me personally, I think like we said earlier, he's they're working through it. So he probably came up with this idea for this move. All right. And then just working through it. Marrow figured that's probably the way I should try to take it. But to me, it looks like that could have hurt Merrill a lot just because you're going to the, the shoulder and the shoulder, you know, if you're, if Stone Cold's landing on his behind and uh, Miro is supposed to go all the way to the ground. I mean, that's going to wrench your neck and in, in your back. And it really looked painful. Well, that that's what I was wondering. Maybe it's a safer way to take it. The, the classic stunner way that we know now. One, it might be safer on Austin after his neck injury to do the maneuver that way. And two, the amount of people he ends up doing it to with knee, with neck injuries or that are older, especially like when he's hitting McMahon with it every other raw, it could be that that's an easier move for someone to take that wouldn't damage their neck. Also, you got... NWO is about to start or just starting, but you also have diamond dallas page beginning his climb in wcw and part of his thing was to do that full fall you know both uh people flat on the ground diamond cutter from different angles and hit it different ways so you never see it coming so if he's doing this and he's starting to raise up and you have the same finisher you have to do it in some sort of different altered way like just to stand out but, I mean, you're right, though. He's he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's announced that way. He's not the ringmaster. But he's still not Stone Cold. 
the Austin 316 promo took place at King of the Ring, and there's still not Austin 316 shirts, like, for, you know, most of the crowd and signs, and he's wearing one and all. Like, the character evolution is still going on here. We're not even there yet, you know, to, uh, I would say, the biggest star of that time. Um, we're talking about the, the miss spot and the smoking guns match. There's the move here where it just seems mistimed and they're both kind of staggering and almost go over the edge, but then you've got to reset it. Every now WWE has rings around the country, around the world, because, you know, take uh, they're doing a show in England, for example, they're not going to put a whole ring on a plane or a boat or whatever and send it over there. There's already a ring there for them. I'm wondering, was there a ring in Canada and this isn't the standard ring and there's something about it and that could be that looseness that we hear, that could be why the spots are a little messed up. Even if it's just a foot, that's enough. Yeah. When, you, when you're used to I can clear the ring in this number of steps, anything extra is going to screw you up. Right. So I wonder if maybe the ring was a little, a little sloppy or a little bigger or something for the night. Educator, do you know at the time? I mean, is did WWE use a bigger ring? Were they using like a twenty foot ring? They were still to like they were doing the twenty by twenty 18? ring, which, um, you know, one of the biggest things that you know had set WWF apart, WWE apart. Um, they were always doing the twenty by twenty ring, whereas WCW was doing the eighteen, I believe, the eighteen by eighteen, and even some cases a sixteen by sixteen ring. Um, and the the difference between ring like actual ropes versus cables um, to get a different kind of spring action. So you know maybe Marrow is still kind of you know a few months in trying to get used to the difference between the WCW ring and the WAF ring. Um, I absolutely buy into what Hellions is saying here. Maybe this this was a king or, or a ring, I should say, from a, a warehouse storage or or a local um, company, you know, uh, a local local promotion up there that you know they threw their own tarps on it and canvases and so on and painted the the posts and all that stuff. So it it could certainly be a, a different ring than they're accustomed to being in. Well, look at any time there was a NWA, WCW, WWE jump, you could tell the person would take some time to get used to the different ring sizes and right. get readjusted to it. And that much smaller one, wasn't that the worldwide one on the Lazy Susan or the yeah. worldwide Saturday night one? Yeah. That always, and it's also about, it seems it's not half, but it looks like half the height too. It's not yeah. even up the ground as uh, off the ground as much. So you got someone coming up to it and it's like hitting their knees or their thighs. Whereas right. usually it's at least waist high for them. Mm-hmm. Um, was really good in this match too. Like I, I think they had great chemistry. I thought it was a heck of a match between the two. Fun, certainly like your mid card intercontinental level talent. You know, people trying to get noticed, getting that picture and all. Great work, um, Sable. As we've said many times before, looks better here than she does later. I think. Uh, and then at the end, Austin wins. He throws up his fingers, and it looks like he's giving out a number or saying something or whatever. And I watched it like a good five times. And I still couldn't make it out. So th- when that happens, Austin's trying to do Austin 316. But I think he does 361. <laughs> Just like, I ah, screw this, I'm leaving. That's okay. what it looks like. If you rewatch it, I think that's what he's trying to do. Uh, I'm, trying to I'm get like, his own little gimmick over. Yeah, it's just because I think it's supposed to be, you know, 
you know, three. And he's just, he, I think he's trying to do like six, one, three, or he just wasn't getting it right. It wasn't clicking. And he was just like, oh, screw this. I'm leaving. like, he's trying to do like all of his hands at first, like three, one, six would be all of it. And then trying to do the individual numbers and it's just not happening. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I watched it many times. I'm like, I don't know what the heck's going on here. I gave up. Um, also during this too, uh, Bob Backlund comes out after this and just hanging out in the crowd. Uh, campaigning in Canada for well, his... you know, Godwin had the Canadian flag, so why why not? Canada's just the fifty first state, right? Yep, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so we get next up, we got a raw commercial, which is the first raw commercial we've actually seen on the pay per view. Uh, of course, uh, WCW is going on, and this is. I mean, lockstep, lockstep with the NWO being formed because, you know, we forgot to mention that uh, Bash at the Beach was two weeks earlier when they formed the NWO. So, you know, those Monday Night Wars really heating up. Uh, they're advertising HBK and Ahmed Johnson versus the Smoking Guns with a start time of 8.57. I had to write that down. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this is a time where... Uh, WWF was still on uh, a taping uh, schedule where they would do a live event, tape the next one, and so on. So um, just trying to do what they can to outcompete. I don't believe at this point they were going live every Monday night yet. So um, just trying to you know do what they can to thwart off the rise of WCW and the NWO. Well, I mean, this is... This is why we have Raw and SmackDown that we have now. Um, Raw, one hour live, taping one to uh, tape neither the next week, if not the rest of the month, later that evening. And then, oh, okay, we need to go to two hours and we need to go to live every week and we need to go to three hours. And all of this is because of competing with WCW, especially as internet got bigger and bigger. I remember going into school into college looking up the raw results before I went home for the day being like, Oh, well I don't have to watch this. I'll start watching nitro and maybe I'll flip to raw and commercials. Cause at least nitro is live and I know it's going to happen on raw. Um, the eight fifty seven, they just kept doing that eight fifty nine, fifty eight, fifty seven, fifty six, fifty five. which is funny. Cause TBS used to go the opposite way when everything on TBS started at five past the hour. You know, WCW Saturday night was always at 6.05. Um, I mean, it's just, we're going to see more and more crazy stuff as they try to get ahead of each other. And it's just now starting. Yeah, it's it's fun to to watch and see, knowing how it plays out and knowing like the unpredictability of it and everything. It's fun just to kind of see the chess moves that they do, knowing the outcome of it. And, oh, okay, this is why they did that. Or or they're doing this. Oh, now they're going, they're starting at 8 o'clock because they're starting at 8. And, you know, if you if you pull in what WCW is doing at the time, I, I think you'll see a lot of mirroring and learning from them and then uh, kind of uh, taking away from it. I mean, this pay-per-view has a six-man, and the pay-per-view uh, Bash of the Beach was a six-man. So. Well, like the fireworks when Nitro's second hour began, because they end up doing eight to nine was just squash matches and like new talent. And then at nine, they're like, okay, Raw's on. Now we have to actually have something good on the show. So people watch us instead of Raw. And they would have all these fireworks going off. So you're like, it's nine. Now it's the important time to watch. But also, I think one of the craziest things during this 
you know, NWO has officially formed the first three every week. New member, new member, new member. Seems like who's going to turn, who's going to join. Question for you two. Who was the craziest name that you heard? So-and-so is going to join the NWA live tonight on Nitro that never happened. I think mine is, I remember it was a confirmed, he's in the building, he's been seen all, he's shown up tonight. Yokozuna is going to join the NWO tonight. <laughs> How did that turn out for you? And I'm not well, not well. I'm glad to put you know, money down on it or anything. I always thought the craziest one was the Rick Rude thing. Oh, where he was on one week. The and the next week. Yeah. Uh, he was technically on all three shows that week. Oh, yeah, because he still had some voiceover stuff and like interviews from the ECW hardcore net TV stuff. Yep. yep. Which was still airing. So he was on all three shows that week. But yeah, him shaving off the beard when he came out on Nitro. Right. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we move on to the uh, gold dust uh, coming down with Marlena and the Usher to take on the undertaker uh so what did you what did you guys think of this one and what did you think of the uh finish love the fact again wwf is reminding us of some past history and the events that are leading up to this match they showed the uh beware of dog two finish with mankind being in the casket and jumping out unsuspectingly to do the uh mandible claw hole to end up causing the undertaker to lose that match um again you guys can definitely notice that Goldust still has that knee very, very wrapped up and very protected underneath his gear. So that injury that he sustained back in April when we already talked about that whole Ultimate Warrior debacle and that match and so on. So that must have been a legit injury, as you can tell, how wrapped up that knee was. Um, very interesting start of the match with Goldust you know, playing... Uh, cowardly heel running out of the ring and then finally getting into the ring and then using the ref as like a physical shield to keep the ref between him and Undertaker. Um, wh- why wasn't that a DQ? Were you putting your hands on a ref and yanking them around to protect your body? I'm not sure. Um, the Undertakers on the outside of the ring, they're fighting and brawling outside of the ring. Undertaker goes for like a, a choke slam. At least he sets up Goldust for that choke slam. But instead of choke slamming him onto the floor, it was more like he butt dropped him like an atomic drop onto the steps. I thought that was just a weird spot. Wasn't expecting that to occur. Um, one of the just most vi- uh, scary things looking uh, back at this match when Undertaker picked up those ring steps. Like they were like five, they looked like they were to him, they were like five or 10 pounds and just had them just stretched over his head. Like he was going to whip them down onto gold dust and Marlena just covering his body to protect and, you know, undertaker doing that moral. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Dilemma. And ended up dropping the steps. And then later on in the match, gold dust picking up those steps and throwing them around. I mean, those steps back in the 90s must have been a much lighter step because we see talent today. They struggle whenever they do those step spots and putting the steps in the ring. Um, just It was just a very cool spot. Um, did you guys notice Goldust with the turnbuckle spot struggling to get the turnbuckle pad off because mm-hmm. he's wearing gloves so he can't really pick the knot with his fingers? So he's like biting at the knot with his teeth. It took him like two or three attempts to finally get the turnbuckle um, pad off. And then when they ended up 
the payoff for the turnbuckle, they ended up showing a double feature replay. And so you're focusing on the replay, but you miss the whole Irish whip into the corner where he slams Undertaker's back into the uh, into that exposed turnbuckle. So, you know, the, just bad camera work and unfortunately editing or, you know, production, I guess you would say, uh, regarding that. Goldust picking up the stairs on the outside of the ring and just whipping those steps down on top of Undertaker's back. Um Undertaker trying to go for a tombstone pile driver in the match. Goldust kind of like slips out of it, and Goldust or Undertaker then goes for like a small package inside cradle for a pinning maneuver. When has the Undertaker ever done a small package or inside cradle? I just that was just mind boggling. And even commentary had picked Jim Ross, I believe, that he even picked up on that. Um, we got the tombstone finish. Uh, for the pin, and unfortunately, it was kind of like a delayed cue for then what was the final spot with, and I thought it was a brilliant play, Mankind tearing from underneath the ring that we saw uh, Undertaker do earlier in the year, uh, grabbing Diesel, remember during that Rage in the Cage, and, and yanking Diesel through. So we see Mankind ripping up through the, uh, the mat and uh, causing a DQ finish and applying the Mandible Claw, and throwing the undertaker or kind of causing the undertaker to fall through that hole in the ring um fun finish just the miscue uh for the timing at the end it just seemed like the referee was trying to delay account waiting for uh the mankind spot to happen but overall i thought this was a fantastic match great storytelling back and forth between the two these two work really really well together there's characters yeah it was it took me a while for this match. When it started, I'm thinking, what in the hell is going on here? Especially after that Goldust Ultimate Warrior match, if you could call it it. But there's so much stalling and buying time and everything. I'm like, are we really doing this again? I'd forgotten the ending completely. So I, I was taken off guard. But I'm just like, what the heck is going on? And then, like you're saying, that knee injury, it almost looks like he's wearing a, a lot looser sloppier gear too maybe so he can pull the gear over all the padding and protection he has like he looked like someone bought him a new outfit that's one size too big and was like just go ahead and wear it and wash it a couple times it'll shrink like he, he just seemed sloppy too um the the undertaker chair spot so i'm gonna make two references to different things during this match um so there's an anime i've been watching and takes place during the zombie apocalypse. This is going somewhere, trust me. And there's a scene where it looks like, well, as long as we're alive, who cares about anyone else? Our crew's alive, don't care. Everyone else, you're on your own. And then they see a kid that needs help, and they say, it's a kid. And they risk their own safety and their own lives because they have to save a kid. It's like, listen, as, bad, as far as we've gone down this road, there's still some humanity left. So when you have Undertaker, who is a heel character for so long, and he's dark and he's scary and everything, I'm not going to hit a woman. There's still some humanity left. I, As bad as I am, there's a line I won't cross, which I think shows a lot for the character and builds him up and makes him an even bigger face for it, too. Um, once they get going, it's fantastic. I, I actually like the Undertaker inside Cradle, small package spot there because it was so unexpected. I think someone like Undertaker can only do that move with someone else who's also a very tall person. 
like Undertaker can't roll up like Shawn Michaels in such a move. It would have to be a Goldust, a Kane, you know, someone else of, of near similar height. Um, mankind ripping through the ring. Now, obviously, the timing was just a little bit off, just a couple seconds. Enough that you notice it, but not enough to really damage it or affect it or anything. Rips through, pulls Undertaker down. The smoke comes out, much like the spot with Diesel. Waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. And then Undertaker rips up through the other side and comes back to go with another reference. It reminds me of Dragon Ball Z when you have episode after episode after episode of how are we going to beat this guy? Oh, we need to come up with this crazy, crazy, crazy maneuver to beat him. And it's our last chance and we can only do it once. And then when the new bad guy shows up right away, it's like, yeah, I can do that too. Undertaker we've seen for years and out of nowhere he pulls out this gimmick where he rips up through the ring and it's spectacular and only seen once. And then Mankind shows up and is like, yeah, I can do that too. Immediately puts him on the same level as Undertaker. With, you know, whereas Undertaker's been there for years, Mankind in a couple months is at that level. It's like, I can do that too. You're like, oh, that's nasty. And then Undertaker pops up and it's like, Yep, but I'm still here. How are you not going to spend money on that feud? How are you not about to put on my see those two go at it? It was so well done. Um, and then the brawl, the brawl all the way down the ring into the back and then into the boiler room, which, I, you know, we know what match is coming next in their feud. But just fantastic. Does nothing for Goldust. Goldust looks good, but this none of this is anything for him. Mankind becomes a star in one night from this. Like, now all you got to do is put Undertaker and Mankind on the pay-per-view. What they could do, I don't know. But I'm still going to pay money to see it. I don't care where you put them, what kind of match, what the stakes are. I don't care. I need to see these two guys fight. Yeah, and like you said with Goldust, too, I thought this was a really good transition where they transitioned the feud of Goldust-Taker to Taker-Mankind. And then, of course, they, they planted the seeds with Marlena and the Usher coming out for uh, the Mark Marrow feud with, with Goldust to kind of pass him off. Uh, one thing that I'm surprised neither one of you caught or talked about uh, was after Mankind cuts up through the ring, the box cutter's just sitting in the middle of the ring that he used to cut up. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah, the ref has to shimmy it off with his foot. I thought that was funny. No, I, I caught the tape in the, in the main event. I caught the tape patching it up, which that surprised me because it's not just tape covering the the ring canvas. You got to put wood back in there too, just so anyone doing a move won't fall through the ring. Um, and I know uh, for any time they do like a, a lot of a, a water, beer, milk, whatever, they strip that entire canvas, replace it, replace anything underneath, and switch it back during a commercial break. Well, there's like recaps and interviews and stuff here that I just assumed they were repairing the whole thing. But then you see the tape, I'm like, oh, no, they, I mean, they repaired it enough to do a match, but they didn't strip the ring and start over again either. Again, maybe that goes back to our, what the heck's going on with this ring thing. And if that, yeah, nowadays, oh, I was going to say, go if that is a bad ring, well, not a bad ring, but say, you know, something's off with it, something's <coughs> a little broken, whatever, why not destroy it with this spot and just be like, all right, that's it. Let's get rid of the ring after this. Yeah. Now, nowadays, I know that they, just by going to live events, I mean, they, I think they probably have seven, eight canvases already laid down. 
Um, and then they just undo them and then they wheel them out, roll them up and probably clean them off. I would imagine and do whatever. Uh, the idea was always Vince liked having a clean canvas always on TV. So, uh, well, now that nowadays too, it's probably sanitary reasons, obviously, especially if you're getting, uh, someone gets cut up the hard way or anything like that, or the sweat and stuff. Well, Uh, it just kind of adds up. We've gotten so used to wrestling doing that all the time. I mean, it was a couple of years ago when they were stopping the match for any amount of blood hard way. And and the referees got to bring out their gloves anytime someone's bleeding. But then you had UFC this week where you can see blood on the canvas still for the next following matches. And I mean, that was just expected. And and there's plenty of wrestling shows where there's blood on the canvas. And, you know, the next match is like, oh, geez, there's that blood still from the previous match. But now you just can't for many reasons. So it's weird when you do see it now or, or anything that's not a perfect canvas. Now it stands out. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that to me stood out how they literally just kind of patched it up and taped yeah. the canvas. Uh, but it also it also probably it also probably explains too why there's only one more match left on the card and there is no dark match. There nothing after this. So who who would you have left to do a dark match? <laughs> like uh, all the stars you got are on the Um why don't we move into the SummerSlam Olympics commercial? What did, what did you guys think of that? I'm just happy my boy Marty Jannetty got a cameo in there. <laughs> it was a big brawl in the there. end, you know? <laughs> I loved that commercial. I remember oh, that one. I love that. But the, well, remember, I was talking, you know, from the previous one, the King of the Ring commercial was great, too. I mean, right now they're really thinking outside the box and, I, you know, another home run with this commercial, in my opinion. Like these commercials would run if you didn't order whatever was going on pay-per-view, the the block, um, once it wasn't like just scrambled signal, the block was commercials like this. <laughs> so if you're flipping through and you see this on a pay-per-view channel or like the TV guide channel or whatever, you're like, this looks fun. This looks entertaining. This isn't actual wrestling, but it looks like they're having a good time. It looks interesting. Maybe that's enough to get some people interested. If not the pay-per-view, at least to Raw, and then maybe from Raw, they'll want to spend the money. So, so Educator, you said that you were happy Marty Jannetty got a cameo. Um, on a scale of gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal, where do you, where do you put him for his cameo? <laughs> he just wanted to be at the pay window. He just wanted to be at the pay window. <laughs> so um, you have a prize student, a gold medal student known as Crone Meltzer, don't you? Oh, Tell me about the crown, sir. Well, you know what? This is the Kevin Decent birthday spectacular. So we want to have Crone uh, Meltzer come in and say a few words. So let me throw it to him real quick. Thanks, Matt. I'd like to give a big birthday shout out to the man of the hour, Mr. Mass Librarian. You know, Kevin, you and I share quite a few wrestling memories if you think about it. The trip to Ogdensburg, I think that was right before uh, Batista got injured, if I remember correctly, the night before. Getting the picture with uh, Charles Robinson. Watching all those wrestling pay-per-views crammed into Matt's house. Snacking on some of Granny's sausage bread. That was my entry ticket in to be able to watch. (laughs) I think one of my favorite memories, it's kind of all conjuncted together, but I just love going on those rides and playing the wrestling game for hours on end, trying to think of a wrestler whose name starts with the letter Z or U, some wacky letter. Those, those were the good times. 
And then I remember a trip to a 2CW show in Syracuse where we got to see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn take on Up in Smoke's Cheech and Cloudy. And if I remember correctly, it was you who told Kevin Owens that I had been denied a hug from the one and only Cheech, who I believe made an appearance on Dynamite earlier in the year, but neither here nor there, sidebar. You told him that I was denied a hug, and he ran all the way down the ring from one end to the other, right outside, right along the barricade, picked me up, pulled me over the barricade, and gave me a big bear hug and held me in his arms while the crowd chanted, 2C-Dub, 2C-Dub, 2C-Dub. Little did we know what Kevin would become one day wrestling in the WWE, former world champ now and everything, but that, that is a special wrestling moment. And that was all because of you. If ha- if it hadn't been for you saying something to him, that never would have happened. And thankfully, I know there's a picture around somewhere of that. So that night can live in infamy forever. More than just in our heads, but in living color. Happy birthday, Kevin. All right, Kevin. What, Kevin, what do you think of that uh, that memory of you guys in wrestling? <laughs> it's going to be a lot of people very upset in the retro network when there's no show this week because I haven't sent it to them. <laughs> I think that's the only way I'm going to be able to control this. <laughs> that's great. No, don't worry. I'll send it in the, the Slack chat. <laughs> no, don't worry. Um, yeah, so thank you, Crone Meltzer. Uh, well, we got to get him back on the show uh, when it is appropriate. Of course, Bret Hart is gone for, you know, this entire time. So Crone Meltzer's gone for this entire time. That, you know, filming Lonesome Dove or whatever. Those, what was the show uh, Bret was filming at the time? Lonesome Dove. And, Lonesome. and let's not forget his Simpsons appearance, too, when they did not know who he was. It's a great... Uh, loved that simpsons they did they ever make a a figure of that simpsons uh bret hart i think so because they did a bunch of simpsons celebrity ones a few years ago like toys r us was still around i think the bret hart was one of them well i'm sure uh zach Ryder has it or excuse me matt uh, cadona or was it cadona cardona 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 the the figures breathe (laughs) have either of you taken a fig bath today No Chelsea Green in that fig bath video. I'm disappointed. <laughs> why don't we uh, Why don't we get back into the pay per view? Let's move on. Uh, of course, uh, we got a video package uh, of the upcoming feud with Camp Cornette, um, explaining why the Ultimate Warrior has been suspended. Um, and then, of course, we get the interview with Doc Hendricks talking to HBK, uh, Ahmed Johnson, and. The man. Can you trust him? Can you not trust him? Psycho Sid. Uh, what'd you guys think of that whole uh, kind of block? I, I don't know if they just played stuff in a different order, but just something didn't make sense. We we see Monsoon talking about uh, Ultimate Warrior being suspended due to missing a, a few dates. And then they show uh, that as a result, then the following Raw, the Warrior gets beat up and destroyed by Camp Cornette. So I'm not sure if they just flip flop things forward, backward. I'm not, I don't know. Um, just the, the sequencing and the timing of the events just, it seemed backward. Um, I'm guessing it's some sort of a Mandela effect 
thing of time going weird. Uh, this is probably the same um, event that caused Triple H to be punished with the hot pen match before Hall and Nash actually left WCW. Right. Uh, it was a good recap. It, you know, brought up everything, got us up to speed. I forgot how cool that reveal was of Ahmed Jan- Johnson is just standing so wide to block Sid. And then moves just a little bit and Sid comes around. and the sh- I-, I remember watching it live like, oh, he's back. Where have you been? But that was such a cool reveal. In fact, he was standing there the whole time. Uh, quick other thing before this recap and uh, Doc Hendricks interviews and all. We have a quick little thing of the three announcers hyping up what has just happened with Undertaker and Mankind and the main event. And a fan actually reaches forward and puts a crown on Jerry, a Burger King crown on Jerry Lawler's head. And oh, it yeah. takes him a moment to realize that. And it is, and he knows he's on camera and currently doing something, so he can't react how he probably wanted to react either. It's fantastic. It's such he a yelled, real moment. Yeah, and then, then he yells for security, and there's a security guy on camera in the background who is laughing hysterically as a response <laughs> to the fan doing this. It was just great. Absolutely great. Well, well, time spot by fan. Unlike later in the show, but this was actually a well done one. Um, and, and sometimes fans get too into it, much like the educator um, trying to smack around the Sultan at a house show. Sometimes fans just get too involved. But the, this was, I hate when fans try to be a part of, uh, try to be the star of the show. I can't stand it. No one's there to see you. No one paid money to see you as a fan. They paid money to see the wrestlers. I don't understand people jumping in the ring. You're either going to jail or getting punched in the face by someone who does it for a living. Nothing's going to go well for you. But this kid putting the crown on was fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Jeez, uh, Kevin, they're subtweeting uh, Brock Lesnar guy. <laughs> just going after him i remember you know what the funny just a little side note i remember sitting at the royal rumble me and my brother had those seats behind the announcers so every time we were on tv like every single time the funny thing though was we blew up on the internet our photo was everywhere because in front of us was Noel Foley. Noel, right. And everyone's like, oh, there's Noel. She's so pretty. She's so pretty. And then here's me and my brother and our dumb faces just like, Ugh, like the entire time. I say one of the shows you went to, I was at the educator's house watching the pay-per-view and we started texting you anytime you're on camera, just so you knew. And we, we could figure out what the satellite delay was. That, uh, that Royal Rumble, uh, that's when the Miz and... Uh, Shane win the tag titles and Shane does the uh, the shooting star press and they have the slow-mo video of me and my brother marking out for <laughs> Shane McMahon. I'll have to post that on the internet. I took a fo- I took a video of it. We'll, we'll, when, the, uh, when the podcast goes up, we'll have the Retro Network uh, tweet that out. I, I don't have an on-camera thing of that level. I have a sign that made it on camera for a show, but you, you're the winner so far. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, you're not the most, uh, the, the best sign that's ever made it on that one of us has made. Oh, that would geez. go to Mr. Anthony DiMasselli with the Brett the Crybaby Heart sign, which was in the video package for WrestleMania <laughs> for his match against uh, Stone Cold at WrestleMania uh, 13. <laughs> Shout out to Anthony. So, 
I know you're listening. Um, why don't we move on to our main event and what people have dubbed the second best six-way <laughs> tag match um, of the month. Um, of course, we have uh, Camp Cornette taking on none other than the People's Posse. Uh, what did you guys think of this match? Uh, I know uh, Educator has a lot of thoughts because you loved it. Oh, fantastic match. Crowd was just super, super into this match. You know, uh, what makes a great wrestling show, there are four key things. You've got great in-ring action. You've got entertaining commentary. You've got engaging promos and interviews. You've got an energetic and invested crowd that are just sitting on their seats and and buying into every moment. And without a doubt, this this was a fantastic, fantastic finish to the night. Um, the pre-match interview with Doc Hendricks. Hey, at least Doc Hendricks was only taller than one guy now in, the, in this particular interview <laughs> with Shawn Michaels. At least Ahmed and Sid were taller. Um you know, the Canadian crowd was absolutely hot for Shawn Michaels' entrance. This is 1996, so Survivor Series in Montreal hadn't happened yet. So they are just super, super into Shawn Michaels. Um, Ahmed Johnson coming to the ring and a very interesting nugget of commentary that was slipped in by Vince where he mentions uh, as Ahmed being the Intercontinental Champion that Ahmed is key, uh, is carrying the People's Championship mm-hmm. belt. I don't know if you guys picked up on I, that. I got it in my notes too, yeah. Yeah, the People's Championship belt. Why, oh boy. Compare, compare this Intercontinental Champion to another guy that was going to be Intercontinental Champion pretty soon that ended up being a People's Champion. Boy, this completely night and day there. Um, Sid's, Sid's entrance crowd going nuts, him doing the fist bumps to, to the, the people along the guardrail walking to the ring. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, the heels making their entrance in with camp Cornette. Again, the crowd just absolutely going nuts. If you would have told me about all of the individuals in this match, um, I would have been shocked in thinking that Sid was not the worst performer in this match. <laughs> you know, we, we have gone back in previous episodes on how lost Sid has looked, um, how, you know, uninspired his actions are in the ring. Sid seemed super motivated, super focused. Um, going back and watching this with my nostalgia goggles here, I just I always heralded Ahmed Johnson as being amazing and what you know and I was disappointed at how quick his his run was with the WWF you know a little over two years and going back and starting to see you know really watching not as you know as a fan then versus you know as an educated fan now with a, a lot of experience he didn't look good at all and he's intercontinental champion you know he had some power spots and 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 clotheslines and stuff like that but some of his maneuvers just looked terrible he um he did a waist lock on Owen Hart and did the Chris Benoit Kurt Angle belly to back suplex all three of them they were just dropping Owen on like a weird angle on his shoulders 
It just it looked terrible. Um, you know, Bulldog doing a tag and tag in to save Owen, and then Ahmed hit the Pro River Plunge on the Bulldog. He didn't drop Bulldog square on his back. Again, it was more like a twisted sideways drop. It just looked absolutely brutal. Um, Vader comes in to make the save on Bulldog. Um, the punches that he throws uh, Vader into the corner and the punches that he uh, Ahmed Johnson lays into Vader, they just they were so quick, but they like they didn't look believable whatsoever. Um He's, you know, ta- you know, brawling with Vader. They're going back and forth. At one point, um, Vader had thrown him into the corner, and he goes in for like the Vader goes for the running avalanche splash. Ahmed catches him and attempts to do a power slam, but ends up dropping Vader and then falling on top of him as opposed to a full power slam. Just a, a lot of. Ahmed's work during this match did not look crisp, did not look believable whatsoever. Uh, Hallians, what what are your thoughts coming starting from uh, that big power slam on the Vader that Ahmed dropped him? For, so Ahmed, Ahmed reminds me of water. Okay, so you turn on the sink in your kitchen. And a certain amount of water comes out. And then you get the little spray hose thing. And it's more powerful. And can do more to it. And, and clean up more. And then I don't know if you guys have ever seen. But there's certain machines that shoots a, a stream of water out. So fast and so tight and precise. It can cut through things. Like there will be giant signs up on it. Like do not put your hands near. It will slice your fingers off. It's that powerful. So it's a thing that when focused and honed can be damaging and impressive and all. And Ahmed is like that, like the water. He can, he's got all this explosive energy and he can be so damaging, but Ahmed is more like a leak in your ceiling in your upstairs bathroom that comes through the, (laughs) into the living room. (laughs) Like it's still water and it's still damaging, but it has no focus. (laughs) It's just going everywhere and it's sloppy. And that's more what he seems like. Speaking of going everywhere and sloppy, how about the fans that break down the guardrail and trip all over Shawn Michaels during his entrance? It's such a cool look, though. I mean, it really is. Yeah, it's awesome. You got to put that in every highlight. Like, look how beloved Shawn Michaels is. You, it, yeah. It's such a, a in Canada, spontaneous you know, in Canada yeah. places, you know. Um, Vader is being knocked off his feet way too much. Still, I I know. I just need to give up thinking that the Vader of WCW is anywhere near the same guy. He just you mean like isn't. He's, he's bumping around too much? Yeah, it's, yeah. Shawn Michaels takes him down right away, takes him down with the head scissors, knocks him to the floor. And this is within like the first moments of the match. Sid, what happened while he was gone? I got to imagine Vince called up and said, hey, Ultimate Warrior left. We need a big guy. We need you back. Here's the deal. If you reach this mark, this mark, and this mark, you'll get the world title. But if you screw up along the way, I'm going to take it away. So I need you to do this and come out and get over. I need you to do this and pay attention and get focused. Like, I honestly feel for this level of difference compared to when he looked when he looked like a rookie next to one, two, three kid. Right. To this, Sid is fantastic. He looks like a star. He's taking out everyone. He looks like he's having fun. I don't know what changed in between. 
my best guess is something was put in front of him and he's like, you know what? I want to work towards that. Right. That's my best guess. Cause there's such a difference out of nowhere for him. It's not like he went, it's not like he was in Japan for years and came back and was like, Oh, I learned all this new stuff. You know, there's no, it's gotta be money is my, my best guess for it. Um, there's so many things. And, and like I said before, I try to not look ahead for the pay-per-views because I want to be surprised and reminded as I'm watching them. There was so much going on. I'm like, did Camp Cornet break up this night? Cause there's so many, like I missed a move and I hit my teammate or we, we not not botched because botch would be an actual accident it's just part of the storyline of the match it's like oh we missed that move oh you know we screwed up and i'm like is this going for a storyline and it it wasn't it was just part of the overall purposeful telling of the match and the team and all was great right yeah, owen and Shawn michaels have this rolling pin attempt sequence that was just fantastic to right. watch so cool to see god they had such good chemistry together too um, Vader's bear hug. What in the hell was that? He's got Sean's arm up in the air. It looks like Brody talking about how he sleeps in mall rats, like and he's trying to get his arm into a comfortable position. Right, right. Vader's bear hug for Sean Michaels, and they tried to be like, "It's a chokehold." It's not. It's he got confused and didn't know what the hell he was doing. Vader also. Goes to break up a tag or get involved in the match. Like when I don't want to get up to get something for my kid. And I'm hoping my wife will do it if I take too long. Like, oh, 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 you need someone to get. Oh, 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 you're getting it, honey. I, I was about to get up. But I mean, gee, as long as you're already up. Like that's Vader going to break the, up the tag. Like, oh, let me get my, let me get in the ring. Let me, oh, oh, it's all right. All right. All right. I'll just hang back here. Like he, he's like an old man dad in the ring. Um, Sid again, fantastic. I I, I keep having notes about Sid because I was just so shocked and so impressed. But let's talk about the fan jumping in the ring. I'm watching it. All of a sudden, I'm like, why is there a new face? Who's this? Did someone debut this night? That's a fan. That's a fan who's about to get his ass kicked. That's what that is. And I've seen it a few times. Usually, it's not that clear on camera, though. Usually they see it coming and they cut the camera angle real quick. That was big, like he was right there, which I can't imagine is no one expected it. And he was met by, uh, was it Ahmed and, and Vader? Everyone. No, Bulldog. Ahmed and Bulldog. Yeah, everyone just stopped and took him out. Oh, um, It reminded me, so like we said before, we all went to a house show uh, March 1st before everything shut down. And the main event was a six-man tag. Treats actually left. <laughs> so turn it. Um, but it was absolutely a everyone getting your spots. Right. Everyone getting your cool moves. Send the fans home happy. You, you know, um, have a cool moment and everything. Right. And this seemed like that in a way. They, like, you're, you're, yeah, you're mentioning everybody getting their spots. How about Bulldog with his standing vertical suplex on Sid? And just how amazing it looked because of how tall Sid is. It was just an amazing, amazing sight to see. And the crowd went, again, the crowd was so invested in any every heavy high spot, regardless if it was a face or a heel doing it. All oh, the crowd just reacted. It, I mean, 
Bulldog having set up so high, we've seen we've seen indie matches in buildings where they couldn't do that. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it was like a super house show in a way, you know, not just like for a B or C ta- level town before, hey, this isn't televised, but we're going to have a ton of people here. So we want to have something cool. Let's have our three biggest good guys or three biggest bad guys. They're all going to fight. They're going to do crazy moves, cool spots and all. And you're going to go home happy. And they did. This crowd was nuts for this match. Um, a little distraction. Cornette doing some great stuff. Shawn Michaels worked the majority of the match for the right. faces. And then Sean gets pinned by Vader, which you would think in the moment watching this, oh, your champion just got pinned in the tag match. Clearly, he's got the next title shot. I think Vader's going to win. Right. Vader's going to be champion. He's champion WCW. Of course, he's going to win. We talk about how Sid is looking better. And I know that Vader-Sean Michaels match at SummerSlam is probably Vader's best match in his WWF career. Probably. But now I got to give the credit to Sean, not to Vader. Right. For helping it with it. But man, it's just uh, for a character I like so much previously, uh, I'm just like, I don't understand any of this. Mankind also made to look great the same evening, the same pay per view, ends up becoming a multiple time world champion, which is everything I thought Vader would have been at the end of this match. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Well, the good thing, too, about that pin was it did save Cornette about 6 to $10 million on <laughs> right, his refunds, right. so, which which he does mention. Actually, um, one last note I actually had regarding this match. I mean, yeah, the, everybody looked like they were having fun. Um, in particular, when you guys think of uh, you know, Jim Cornette, the manager uh, of the heel team, when, when you think Jim Cornette, what team really comes to mind when you think Jim Cornette? Midnight Express. So how about Sid and Shawn Michaels' homage to the Midnight Express when they did the rocket launcher splash when Sid launched oh Michaels God. off the top rope? I thought that I was just nuts. He just landed right on Vader. And, I didn't and, eat. and for uh, Cornette to be there to watch that, that just had to be surreal. I thought that was a fantastic storytelling. So, eat. yeah, you know, the finish of the match with Cornette, you know, getting involved when Michael's getting ready to do the sweet chin music to Vader, uh, you know, tuning up the band and stomping and then Cornette grabbing Michael's leg to distract him and tug him. And then Vader ends up coming, doing a big old avalanche splash into the corner and then sets up Michael's for that second rope, you know, Vader bomb splash and boom, one, two, three. And we got Vader and, and Camp Cornette winning that match, setting up uh, laying down the groundwork for that SummerSlam pay-per-view. All right, so with that Midnight Express spot, two questions. One, who do you think calls this match? Who's in the back plotting it out? Two, then who is enough of a fan, I guess? I don't want to say Mark, but who who, uh, who out of the people involved in this match is like, you know it would be fun? What if we did this too? Now, I'm going to say it's probably Owen and Sean that put the match together. I would say I would absolutely agree with that. Yep. But then who is like, you know, it'd be a cool spot. I, I would also, I would say Owen and Sean as well. You, you so. got to remember Owen. I mean, Owen. it was probably more, probably more Owen too. Yeah, than, than Sean at this time. Yeah. Because I mean, Owen, I mean, we're, we're so used to Owen and his, and his WWF run, but a lot of people forget. I mean, 
he's actually from like the mid eighties. He, he had a run in the WWF as the, when the original blue blazer gimmick late 88, early 89, uh, at WrestleMania five, uh, and so on. And, and he also had a SummerSlam match with Mr. Perfect as well. Uh, but I mean, he, he Calgary as well uh, for Stampede, and 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 so I'm sure he he was a huge fan of tag wrestling uh, growing up, and and I'm sure uh, he probably came up with that spot or would have you know nudged uh, Michaels to to want to do that spot as well. And Sid doing it by Sid being such a bigger guy. One of the things that a lot of that people were bothered with that rocket launcher spot is the guy doing the throwing really wasn't doing much of the throwing because he wasn't tall enough to grab and do a push of the the of you of Bobby Eaton off the top rope, whether it was Stan Lane or Dennis Condry doing that rocket launcher spot. But Sid being a much taller guy and oh my God, just launched Michaels across the ring. It was great. Absolutely love that spot. Yeah, it probably felt like he was throwing a softball the home plate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so b- before we go on the pay-per-view, we do have a little bit. We have a little in-your-house extra. Um, you know, we have uh, Doc Hendricks interviewing Gorilla Monsoon, uh, and they really do announce kind of the main attractions for SummerSlam. Uh, they officially announced the Boiler Room Brawl, uh, which, of course, is The Undertaker versus Mankind. Um, and then Corny and Vader come in uh, saying that they want a shot at the belt because they pinned Michaels. And uh, they make pretty much make that match official for SummerSlam that they get uh, Vader versus uh, Sean, and then then takes us out of the pay per view. I mean, how would you not buy SummerSlam after this one? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Crowd. I mean, the crowd was just amazing, and the matches were really, really well received by the crowd there, and commentary was fantastic. Everything about the show was just very, very entertaining. Yeah. So um, as the pay-per-view concludes, I uh, do want to say a few words about my Jeez. my good friend, Mr. Master Library, Kevin Hellions. Tell you a little wrestling Kevin story. So, you know, growing up, obviously, uh, my house became Grand Central Station for all things wrestling as my father was willing to uh, my, my grandfather really got me into wrestling. Uh, so he would come over, watch the pay-per-views, uh, and then, of course, it was just a big gathering. My mom always thought she would rather have all of my friends at our house so she knew where we were rather than have us go to other people's houses. So uh, wrestling became kind of what we all kind of gravitated to. Uh, so, of course, we would order the pay-per-views. Uh, this was after we went to McDonald's to get 29-cent hamburgers on Sunday night when they were doing that special. Uh, we would be able to get 29-cent hamburgers hamburgers than 39 cent hamburgers usually spend about five bucks and get a ton of ton of burgers and i think that five dollars eventually turned to uh, little caesar's hot and readies um, as that uh, came into fruition so kevin would always have a special quirk when we would watch wrestling oh i know of course (laughs) you would order your pay-per-view through your cable box hit the button you're good to go uh, the cable boxes always had the time on it, you know, seven o'clock and it would say seven on the cable box. You know, a lot of days now, these cable boxes, especially if you're cord cutting and you don't have a cable box, there's no time on it. So everyone just kind of has their phone with them at all times. And that's really taken over for that. Uh, so Kevin had a tape that he would bring with him 
It was like a VHS tape that after we ordered the pay-per-view, he would put in front of that clock. So he never knew when the pay-per-view was supposed to end. So we could have 20 minutes in our main event, you know, 30 minutes in our main event, whatever time we had left over, the tape was in front of it. So he would not have to watch. Uh, so not, so he would never know when the, the actual match was going to end. So a very savvy, savvy move by you, Kevin. So was that a special tape you brought, Kevin? Um, <laughs> I, I know you always had it in your bag. So, uh, so what was on, what was on that tape? So it was, I would, because the TV stand you had at the time, when it first started going over, I would grab a tape out of your TV stand and put a tape in front of it. Now that's, that's not the way I tell so the story. Then, so then you and your brother started taking it away and getting mad at me for touching your tapes and stuff because it was more amusing for me not being able to use a tape to block it. So I said, oh yeah, then I'll bring my tape and I'll say, well, you guys can't touch my tape and I'll just put it in front of your clock. And my reasoning was, and this comes more through in like Attitude Era, Vince Russo stuff, WCW. When you knew the pay-per-view is over at 10 and at 9.50, your main event wrestlers still haven't come out, you know you're getting a screwy ending and you're not going to get a conclusion. You're not going to get anything good. So you've already mentally checked out the match. And I wanted to be surprised and not be checked out. If it's going to be a screwy ending, at least let me be surprised by the screwy ending. If I know it's coming, then it takes away some of that. So I did not want to know. Now with the network and everything, or even if you're starting late, I don't have that. If anything, I if anything, I know when something's ending because one of you will text me and say, let me know when you're finished watching it. My question to you, too, is when you're watching a pay-per-view live now, obviously the network, they can go long, they can go short, they can do whatever. Um, but what if back in the day they had Twitter? Obviously, like, because you're always in the conversation tweeting out different True. things, of course, getting ready for your own personal blog. Yeah, I know you write recaps and trunked or whatever you truncated you're calling it truncated. Yeah, whatever that means. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so how would you handle that now? I mean, uh, you, you obviously know the time when you're on Twitter. True, but like Money in the Bank, I wanted to be surprised about. So, actually, in our group chat, I said, Hey, I'm not going to be able to watch it until later. And I just flat out ignored my phone. I, I put it away. I actually told my wife, I said, if I'm worried, you know, if someone calls or if I'm worried about anything, I'll have you check it first. But chances are any messages I get are going to be people saying, hey, have you watched the show yet? Are you currently watching it? Or reactions. I almost got one. I actually got a text. Um, someone was mad about who won money in the bank. And I got a text. Thankfully, I didn't see it. Until I was done watching it, or else it would have ruined the winner for me. And I and I do want to formally apologize for ruining that. I thought Sasha Banks looked nice. On Money in the <laughs> that Bank. was the first thing I got. Now this block it with VHS. I did it at my own home. I would do it during Raw and Nitros. Like I really did not want to know what was going on, and it became such a part of me that when I started my rebrand last year into Mass Library, that is one of the reasons I picked the VHS that logo too bad we couldn't do that with how long our podcast goes just put the tape up on your phone <laughs> so you don't know when you don't know when the house show is going to end never know <laughs> so that was one of my favorite my favorite little kevin quirks about wrestling. i think i did it at educator's house too oh absolutely <laughs> i remember watching some wcw shows 
and uh, you've got that videotape with you, and I'm like, dude, I'm taping it already. He's like, no, it's for something else. No, it's no. Black the Black. No, I'm, yeah, I'm aware you're taping it on a VHS so we can watch it later. That's not what this VHS is for. So exactly. I can see the time. I think one of you like put like your mom's clock in front of the TV too. <laughs> so that was, was me. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's going to do it for our pay-per-view here in your house. Why don't we rank it before we go? Um, so uh, let's start from the bottom and work our way up when it comes to the actual pay-per-view. Let me just get my notes here real quick. All right. Is it better than number seven? Good friends, better enemies, which is, uh, the worst pay-per-view we watched so far. Absolutely better. Yes. Kevin? Yeah, I, I okay. can't imagine anything being worse than that yet. All right. Is it better? Um, where did we put next? Was it Beware of Dog? Was eight the next one? Or two? No, two. Yeah, two. two. The Lumberjacks. Lumberjacks. Yep. yep. Was it better than Lumberjacks? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Now, was it better than Beware of Dog? Yes. Absolutely. We're, we're just moving up here. All right. Is it better than the fourth in your house, which was um, something? I don't know. I don't know what the name of it is. Bulldog, oh, Bulldog Diesel. Diesel. Bulldog Diesel. Yeah. Absolutely. Bulldog Diesel. Better. Yeah. Better than that one? Yeah. For all right. card, yeah. Is it better than the first one, the one we went to? Yes. I would say so. Yeah. All right. Is it better than number six, Rage in the Cage? Now, here's the thing. Let's just stack them up. Rage in the Cage. Great ending. True. Uh, that was the ending That was the ending in the co-main event for this one. True. So, also true. Uh, does that take that, that away? <laughs> what do we have left? We got Rage in the Cage and then... Rage Trip in the Potter, Cage. Right? Uh, number five. It's better than Rage in the uh, Cage. Season, season's Beatings. Season's Beatings. Yeah. All right. And then the third one, which was uh, the triple header. It's better than Rage in the Cage for sure. That, I would agree. It definitely would go above Rage in the Cage. All right. Is it better than Season's Beatings? So Season's Beatings was the Bret Hart Bulldog Bloodbath. Bret Bulldog Bloodbath. Uh, Hogpen Match. Owen Diesel. Owen Diesel with the DQ finish. You got the the Dean Douglas Ahmed Johnson classic uh, with the Jarrett and the. Uh, we got screwed out of the Butterland. Right. I believe this pay per view was better than Seasons Beatings. Oh, Kevin. Uh, I'm thinking. Uh oh. Better. Wow. All right. Is it better than number three triple header? How are these weird tag team matches headlined by top? <laughs> <laughs> these great one-on-one matches. Ah, screw that. We're, we're going to be a, a, a weird gimmick tag team match podcast. <laughs> I, I have to say with uh, the, the way that some of the, the matches finished to push storylines with Goldust Taker, them now setting up the feuds for Undertaker Mankind and then what would have been Goldust and uh, Mark Merrow for SummerSlam and the six man tag and how that offered, you know, just a fantastic interaction between the six, um, you know, a few goops here and there with Ahmed being involved. Um, 
I, I think this one goes over, and I think we got a new number one, in my opinion. Whoa! All right. The Phenomenal. All right, so In Your House 3 is our current number one. Hang on, hang on. I'm going to say In Your House 3 is better, because I want the birthday boy to decide. Oh, you're such a dick. All right, so In Your House 3. This is the Kevin, Kevin Hellion's Birthday Spectacular podcast. <laughs> Check again. In Your House 3 had Savio Vega against Waylon Mercy. It's a good match. Adds, jeez, oh Adds Sid against Henry O'Godwin. Another good one. Add Bulldog against Bam Bam. It had the advertisement for the WrestleMania the special at eleven p.m. <laughs> another, another five star, five star. Dean Douglas against Razor Ramon. And that weird thing. Had John Pierre Lafitte against Bret Hart, which was a good match. It had Alundra Blaze telling us what t-shirts there are. Yeah. And then it had hey. Yokon Bulldog against Diesel and Sean with the Owens not in the building thing. Now, can I point out that this pay-per-view had no shilling of merchandise? It, that's true. That's true. And, and that affects, that, maybe, that affects your... Maybe your that's with the Henry Godwin entrance... Uh, covered up. Now right. it has Sunny, which Treat said before pushes it over during the viewer discretion. Mankind Henry Godwin was pretty good, like shockingly good. I also thought Stone Cold against Mark Merrow was surprisingly good. the The worst match of the night was the tag match, the opener. Yep. And but you got Sunny, and <laughs> hey, yep. Daisy Daisy Duke's cowboy Sunny. You got Stable, you got Marlena, you got the six best reasons to be watching Raw in 96. Not the main event. The, <laughs> the Goldust Marlena, or Goldust and Marlena, on Undertaker, um, and then the six man. Not only am I putting it number one, I think I'm going to add our six man to our best of in your house match list. Oh, whoa! You gotta get there whoa. too. Absolutely. Oh, that's the next Holy list. Wow. <laughs> All right. Why don't we? Uh, so the match list. Okay. Number one, of course, is Michaels uh, Diesel in that amazing, amazing no DQ match. Uh, number two, Bulldog and uh, Brett, the bloodbath. And then number three was Michaels Jarrett. So. You wanted to add it, Kevin. Where do you think it goes in the top three? Um, do you, does it hit which, the top Which three? is now top four, uh, three. So you think it I, goes three? I think Michaels and Diesel is still the best one by far. I agree. And I would put the bloodbath at two. And this at three. I would agree with that. Yeah. I'd go with that as well. And And I think if you had... I think if you had two better talents, because Sid was great in the six man. I think if you had someone better than Ahmed and someone that was working harder than Vader was, this match could have been higher. Can you imagine if Warrior had been there in the match? Like, I, how much different? Oh, the match how would have been? different! And, I've, and how different perhaps the entire perception of the show may have been as well. I think it would have been a shorter match. I, I do. I agree. I think uh, a lot of stuff would have been on the outside 
You know what? I could have seen if Warrior was in it. Warrior and Vader get into it, fight to the back. The match continues with four guys. Just take them out right away. Right. And then and then Vader comes back to get the pin. Because you still need to get him into SummerSlam. But I, I think that it would have been a straight-up tag match, and they would have come back later for the finish. But just because they weren't going to work the whole length of that match. Which was like a pretty long match overall. Yeah, this match was like 30 minutes or so. All right. So this is now the new best in your house we've watched. And the number one match so far, of course, let me just go through because our top five matches um, are actually HBK versus Diesel at number one. Number two, Brett versus Bulldog, the bloodbath. Uh, number three will be this six-man tag. Uh, whenever the people's posse is in a match, it's top <laughs> top five always. Uh, of course, number four is HBK versus uh, Jeff Jarrett at Lumberjacks. And number three is uh, Brett versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte. That was a good match. That would be five, probably. Number five, yeah. You said three, but that's all right. Uh, what did I say? Three? Yeah, We knew what you meant. Yeah, I wanted to move that to three. Well, all right, so. It was three at one point. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. So, all right. Um, I think that's going to do it for the podcast. Educator, any last words for the audience or for the big birthday boy? Hey, I want to say uh, thank you to everyone who has given us the opportunity to entertain you and uh, get you up to speed on some old school WWF from uh, the mid nineties. I want to say thank you to the retro network for the opportunity to host our podcast. Uh, I encourage uh, anyone listening to our show that hasn't done a deep dive on that website to please, please go take a look. They have some fantastic content uh, for you to uh, browse through peruse and get eventually hooked on. Cause that, it's definitely been keeping me busy. Uh, for uh, Big Kev, happy birthday, sir. I hope it was uh, relentlessly positive. I hope uh, you, you uh, many, many more, uh, many more to, uh, to eventually celebrate. Look forward to the opportunity of finally meeting up with you guys again once this whole pandemic ceases and desists. Hoping a vaccine or something eventually will come out soon so that we can get back to some kind of new norm here. But um, I appreciate the opportunity that we have together to talk about the uh, old school wrestling that we have such fond memories of. And I look forward to future podcasts to come. Yeah, and I'm just going to say, of course, happy birthday to the Mass Library for bringing us um, to the uh, to the to the retro network. Uh, we want to thank them, of course, for hosting us. Uh, join us next week. Next week, we have a, if my memory serves me correct for me, um, In Your House 10, Mind Games is going to be good. <laughs> so uh, I think we may have another uh, match being added to our top, our top list, if my memory is right. We'll see how it holds up. Uh, of course, I'm Maddie Treats. You can find me at Maddie Treats on Twitter. If you have any questions, just send them either to myself or at Mast Library. And let me turn it to the birthday boy. Uh, Kevin, why don't you go home for us? All right. Thank you to everyone for the well wishes and the candles and this uh, unexpected roast that I have had to be a part of here. Uh, thank you to the Retro Network for hosting it. Thank you to Richard Reeder for our logo. Thank you to WWE Network for having all this content up for us. Thank you to my two co-hosts here. And for my own wrestling story here, I want to say thank you to my hosts and everyone we used to watch wrestling with. There was a long-standing joke 
because there was someone else that would hang out that was born the same day I was, but one year earlier. And everyone used to say, he's successful, Kevin, why aren't you? And now on my birthday, thanks to these guys, thanks to Retro, thanks to everyone that supported me, I finally feel like a success. I feel more beloved than Shawn Michaels in Canada. You know what the, the funny thing is, is your your art your birthday arch enemy on a day where uh, we're we're doing this podcast, he got to ask the governor a bunch of questions at a press conference. Yeah, I didn't realize he was at JCC today. Yeah. So do you want to hear the story? Yeah, who are you talking about? Who is your birthday arch seventy seven? you ever hear that story? So the joke used to be Kevin. Oh, Matt, Matt, let me tell you the he story. Has a job. He's successful. Why are you? <laughs> so we we were porch sitting, of course, because that's what we did. And uh, for some reason, at the house, we hung out. With um, drinking lots of beers, um, so much so that we that yeah, it was when your mother was at the cottage, oh, and yep. we were like just going over because. Your mother had a left you a note that said, you know, hope you're having fun. I'm a little worried about the beer cans, which I hope is still on your fridge. It's still on my uh, fridge. Be- it is signed by because you. yeah, we no. we signed it, we autographed it, we no. left it up for her. She, she thought saved it was funny. It. So we're just hanging out, relaxing, and then all of a and uh, you know, had about twenty beers and decided to drive home, so, like you did in the in the early aughts. Um, none of us knew better. He, <laughs> yeah, we were young and stupid. Um, his license plate was five thirteen. So the joke was always. And then Kevin was like, "That's my birthday." And he's like, "Oh, that's my birthday." And then Kevin's like, "How old are you?" And it turns out he's a year a year, a year older. older. Yeah, a year older. So Kevin said, oh, I'll be as successful as you when I'm that age every year. So it's just a rolling joke. <laughs> Kevin, your same age Jeff was last year. Yeah, but he's still a year older than me. He's had a whole year. <laughs> he's got a whole year.